is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me say that once, once more in case you're at home you weren't prepared for me just to come up and say that. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed, whether or not we've been able to come into a sanctuary, whether we are at our homes. That truth remains. The Lord is risen. And think of this. You're going to remember this Easter probably above all other Easter's because of the unusual circumstance. This is going to take place and you're going to hold on to it in your own hearts. Let us remember, though you are in your homes, though you are isolated and distant from your brethren and your sisters and brothers who are worshiping, we're still worshiping together. The Holy Spirit unites us together in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me know one thing for you. If you've come straight to YouTube to tune into uh, uh, this service, and you're looking for a bulletin, you can go to the church website. That's lopc-pca.org. Lopc-pca.org. You'll come through the first page. You just click right there on, the, on that page, and it'll take you to where you can find the bulletin for today. We're pleased that you are worshiping with us today and celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. hear the Easter story. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek for living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Let's celebrate our risen Lord, singing Christ the Lord is risen today.
Come this day, our Father, to worship Christ, our risen King. And we praise you for the resurrection. We praise you for what that resurrection means. 
that death has been conquered, that you have accepted the offering of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. We have been redeemed from our sins. We have been made your very children. And as your children, we come to worship our great Father, to worship God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we pray for the anointing, the blessing of your Spirit, in each place in which we are worshiping you now that you will receive this sacrifice of worship, this offering up of praise, that you will receive delight in it. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. For our confession of faith, we're going to be using the larger catechism from our Westminster Confession, question 52. You'll see that in your bulletin. We ask this question. How was Christ exalted in his resurrection? Christ was exalted in his resurrection in that not having seen corruption and death and having the same body in which he suffered really united to his soul, he rose again from the dead the third day by his own power whereby he declared himself to be the Son of God, to have satisfied divine justice, to have vanquished death, and him that had the power of it, and to be Lord of quick and dead, all which he did as a public person, the head of his church, for their justification, quickening in grace, support against enemies, and to assure them of their resurrection from the dead at the last day. Amen. Our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's celebrate again this resurrection, singing, Thine be the glory.
Let's now turn to the Lord in prayer. We do give you praise, our God, for that endless victory that our Lord Jesus Christ has won for us over death. As he has promised us that he is the resurrection and the life. And that those who believe in him will not die. Will not die, will not undergo that spiritual death, that condemnation. That though our, our physical bodies may face death, if he has not returned yet, that our spirits will live and there will be that time, that day that we can look to our own resurrection to come. And it will take place because our Lord has promised it. You, our great God, has promised it. And your promises cannot fail. You had promised that our Lord Jesus would come the first time, and so he did. You had promised that our Messiah would come to to save us from our sins, and so he has done. Now he has risen. And we know that he has ascended on high with you, and that someday... Someday our hope can be sure that he shall return again in all of his great glory. Then your kingdom will be forever restored, forever established. I know we look for that day to come and say, Come, Lord Jesus. But meanwhile, you have us here upon this earth and as the church to bear testimony to, the, to our risen Lord and may we be faithful in doing so. We must confess that there are many times that we have failed to, to show that testimony in our lives. Too often we have been as the world, thinking that this world is all that there is, that there is nothing more. And we confess this before you. Confess that there have been fears in this world that have overtaken us. That there have been times in which the temptations of the world have have lured us away from you. And in all of this, we have broken your commandments. We have failed to love you with all of our heart and, and mind and strength. We have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We confess this. All the more gladly, then, do we confess Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, our Savior, who has provided that forgiveness upon the cross once and for all. And so that as we know that even as we confess, we confess to our Father, and that that your steadfast love has not been broken with us, we give you praise and thanksgiving. We are the people, not only of the cross, but of the resurrection. We've been made your children. Hallelujah. We pray, our Father, for this world to know that same joy, that same hope. Father, in the midst of this great pandemic going on throughout the whole world, we pray that you would use this this crisis, this uh, event that has brought tragedy into many homes, has brought fear to many, that endangers all the nations, all the communities, throughout this world that you would use what certainly Satan would mean for evil that you would use it for great good and that there will be those who now because of facing their own mortality seeing how fragile life is will turn to our Lord Jesus Christ receive his his promise of eternal life know the, the blessedness of being known by you and of knowing you. We pray that we may show forth the light of our Lord Jesus Christ both through our words and through our deeds. Our Father, we would pray that we would our, our speech would be seasoned with grace. We pray that we would not show offense by our attitudes uh, by the way that we treat others. The cross itself is offense enough to many people. But we pray that we ourselves will demonstrate not only the, the joy of the resurrection, but the love that has come down because of that resurrection. 
the love that comes to us from God our Father and from our God the Son. You've demonstrated it upon the cross. All the more you demonstrate that that love is real by the resurrection. May we love our neighbors, our Lord Jesus Christ has loved this world. Now, Father, we do continue to lift up as your priests the needs of this world. For those who are sick with the coronavirus, for those whose lives are in danger, we pray for their healing. We thank you for the women and the, the men who are on the, the front lines providing care, risking their own uh, health and, and even their lives to provide care for others. We pray that you would sustain them, uphold them, give them wisdom as they are seeking how best to treat. And we pray for more victories uh, to come as those who have, have had to go into the hospital will come out uh, healthy again. We pray for all those who have great decisions placed upon their shoulders uh, as leaders of their nations and leaders of their states and of their communities. Guide them, grant them wisdom. And may again, we as your people be those who are good citizens and following the guidelines and, and showing our care and our love for our neighbor. Our Father, all the more, all the more on this day, let the joy of the resurrection come into our homes, into our hearts. We are isolated from one another. We cannot sing together. But that has not kept us from you. Your spirit is as close to us as your spirit can be. The truth of your word, the truth of this gospel, of this resurrection, is still as strong as ever. And may this day, may our thoughts be lifted up to you, to be filled with the joy with the hope, the love that comes with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
scripture this morning, in advance of the sermon, comes from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look inside, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying on the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Robani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Well, seeing is believing. Although maybe the greater truth is, is that seeing and then making the proper connections is believing. We're going to see this morning how that statement is demonstrated. Let's look again uh, at the scripture that Carlton just uh, read. We're going to read verses uh, 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, we've already noted this is typical with John, how he presents each episode that the other uh, writers present in a unique perspective. And he does the same thing in this first Easter morning. John's going to focus on only three characters. It's going to be Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the other disciple whom we understand to be John himself. Now, the first thing I want us to note that I think is interesting is Mary's assumption she makes when she sees that the stone is rolled away. It is clear to her that Jesus' body well, must have been taken away. An empty tomb must mean 
someone else has come in, they've rolled away that stone, and they have taken the body. There's no question in her mind about this, is it? I mean, as far as she is concerned, there could be no other explanation. All right, now let's turn to Peter and John, beginning in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now here's our question. What is it that Peter and John saw in the tomb? Now, we know that they saw the, the linen cloths that were used to, to wrap the torso of the body, lying in its place. That's what that Greek term means for lying, that it's, it's not scattered about. It's all neatly there in one place. And then there is the cloth that would have been wrapped around the head, sort of like a turban. Now, it's a little bit hard to understand the, the Greek terms here. It could either be saying that uh, it is lying in its place where the head would have been, or maybe it means it was separated a little bit further, another part of the tomb in some other place. It also could mean that it's either been folded up or maybe rolled up with the idea that someone neatly folded it. Or it could mean that there's a slight cavity as if, as if the head just simply disappeared. Now, whatever the, the picture is, what's clear is that it does not fit the scenario that Mary came up with of a body removal. Why would anyone bother to remove the linen that would have been glued together, glued to that body by the spices wrapped in it? Now, Mary's assumption does not make sense in light of the evidence. Now, let's take a moment for Peter. And Peter does as what Peter would do. He just barges on in. And he stares at the sight. John follows in. John sees the same picture, and then it clicks for him. We're told he believes. Now, we're not told what he believes, but when you consider the importance that he places on that term in his gospel, it's, it's not hard to figure out. John uses that word to believe 105 times in his gospel. And almost every one, every instance about believing in, is about believing in or believing Jesus. Now, he's not believing Mary's testimony that the tomb is empty. He already knew that when he first stooped in to look. Now, the evidence that John believes is, it has to do with those claws. And the, the way that they're neatly there in the tomb. And when he looks at it, it clicks to him, probably remembers what his Lord had proclaimed back in, in what he records in chapter 2, verse 19. Destroy this temple in what? In three days I will raise it up. Now, does Peter believe it? Well, we don't know. John doesn't tell us. John we just have to leave that question open. All we know is that John makes the connection and he wants his readers, he wants us to make the connection as well. And then as with the crucifixion, he wants his readers to know, to understand, unlike he, John, and, and Peter at that time, that the resurrection was fulfilling scripture also. 
So Peter and John, after they, they look, they return home and they leave Mary. Let's go back to Mary in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now Mary is sticking to her story, isn't she? She never does go as far into the into that cave, into that tomb, as far as Peter and John. And Peter and John apparently do not tell her what they saw. But she does see something new when she kind of looks back in again from the opening. She sees the two angels. And even then, her grief prevents her from understanding what she sees. If she recognizes them as angels, she doesn't seem startled. More likely, she takes them for, for men. Now, where she would have thought they came from, I don't know. But she gives them that same line, that whoever they may be, someone has come and taken away the body. Behold the grief of Mary. And she... She had come to honor her Lord's body, and someone is taken away. And she doesn't know where. And as she tells the supposed gardener, if, if only she knew where, she'd take care of that body. What love Mary possesses for her Lord. It's a love that overwhelms her with sorrow. It's a love that that keeps her at the tomb while the disciples walk away. It is a love that compels her not to be at rest until she can find her Lord's body and, and take care of it. It is love that binds her in sorrow that she, so much as she cannot recognize her Lord standing there in front of her. She cannot recognize him until she hears him saying, her name. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teach him. Just two words exchanged. Mary, Rabboni. Only two words. And yet have ever so much love, so much emotion been expressed. We know Mary's reaction. In the next words, Jesus had to say, do not cling to me. She's probably kneeling down, holding on to him. Let's look in verse 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Now looking back here at verse 17 about this ascending to the Father, I can assure you that there are many different perspectives on what Jesus meant by that. This, you know, don't cling, I'm ascending to the Father, as there are Bible commentators. And we don't have the time to discuss all the interpretations thoroughly. But here's what everyone can agree on. That in verse 17, Jesus is preaching that a new age has come. Something new has taken place because of the resurrection. Yes, this is Mary's beloved Jesus, but he is no longer the man bound in mortality as before. He still possesses his human nature, 
but his human nature is no longer like ours in that it is subject to death. There is no longer the cross before him. No. So the cross, there is glory before him. There is the ascending to his Father in heaven. Nor is he only a rabboni, a rabbi, an earthly teacher. He is the Lord in all of its meaning. And so the relationship now between him and his disciples, including Mary, is not the same as it was before the resurrection. John's story of Easter morning then concludes with Mary's joyful words, I have seen the Lord. Before she had seen an empty tomb, had made no connections. Peter and John had seen an empty tomb with burial linen, but now the good news is, I have seen the Lord. You know, it's clear that our passage this morning is about fight. Nine times, some form of to see is referred to, and even then it uses four different synonyms. Think about it. It is sight that turns Mary and two disciples from failure to believe the resurrection to a firm belief. Let's suppose that Peter did not believe when he had gone into that, that tomb. He had not made the connection. But we know that he would when the Lord would appear before him later that morning. Seeing is believing. But then, seeing is believing only if a person is willing to see. And I want us to consider this statement in light of, in light of today, in light of how people today respond to the resurrection story. Many, if not most of us who do believe, who believe this resurrection, we did so initially for reasons other than being persuaded by the evidence that it took place. In other words, it was not evidence out there that persuaded us so much as the inner conviction of our, of our own sin. That's what touched us. Having said that, it is the concrete evidence that the resurrection of Jesus took place. If we look at that, we'll find that it is actually very strong. Famous apologist C.S. Lewis, in, in his uh, book, Surprised by Joy, and he's detailing how he moved from atheism uh, to believing. In one incident, he points that, that really shook him. He talks about a, a conversation that he had. He writes, early in 1926, the hardest board of all the atheists I ever knew sat in my room on the other side of the fire and remarked that the evidence for the historicity of the Gospels was really surprisingly good. As he said, it almost looks as if it had really happened. Now, actually that evidence did not lead that atheist to, to believe. But it did shake the unbelief of Lewis. He found that he could not be safe. And there are others who have written about the evidence. Josh McDowell, decades ago, compiled the evidence in his landmark book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote that back in 72 and has been recently updated. Actually, he says it's pretty much been rewritten for today. Then there's Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, written in the late 90s. And it details his interviews with scholars that led to his conversion from atheism to belief. And more recently, in the last few years, is Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace, who is a former Cold Case detective and who used his methodology as a detective to examine the case for the resurrection and in that, he also was converted from atheism. Now, these are but, there are but three examples from many sources that examine the hard evidence for the resurrection. 
But here's the question for anyone. Will you take the time to consider the evidence? Will you, in in a sense, go to the tomb? Will you walk into the tomb? And will you examine the evidence? There are those who refuse to look at all. You know, to see, again, one must be willing to look. Mary had to go to the tomb to find it empty. Peter and John, they had to run to the tomb when Mary told them that it was empty. We actually know from Luke in his gospel that, you know, the disciples did not believe the women. So there were more disciples than just Peter and John there at that house. And when the women had come and told them, that the, of, of the angel's message to them. Luke records their response this way. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And so they remained home and did not look. Do these words of Jesus, of John's gospel, seem to you an idle tale, not, work, not worth looking into? Maybe you were like some of the listeners in Athens, and they were listening to the Apostle Paul explain the gospel message. But when he came to the part of Jesus rising from the dead, that was enough. They would hear no more because it just seemed too outlandish for them. And so he asked, why why bother to consider so-called evidence of an event that it that is just too absurd to be true. So there, there are some who refuse to look. There are those who, ref, who might look, but refuse to look further. You might be someone willing to give the gospel a hearing, but you go no further. Like Mary and John at first, who they'll go to the opening, but they're not going to go all the way in to look at that evidence. You might be someone who has listened to a sermon. Maybe you have politely listened to a friend share the gospel with you. But actually studying the matter until your questions, your, your doubts have been fully addressed, well, it's too much to do. Whatever the evidence may seem, you've already concluded the resurrection cannot be true. That's all there is to it. I mean, after all, it cannot be taken literally, can it, in our modern age of science and reason? Maybe you have, maybe you have seen and you have known that there are, are books that proclaim to refute whatever claims that the books I've mentioned have made. And so then you think, well, it's unnecessary for you to do any research. It's not even necessary for you to read the books. You just know that they are there. And then, maybe you are those who are like, maybe you're like the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. There were two of them that first Easter. They knew about the evidence. They had been told from others about what had taken place. They knew about what the, about what the women had said. And they're discussing it with each other. But they just can't, they just can't make a connection there to a literal resurrection. You know, there are many books, as I've already noted, written to refute, actually, the evidence for the resurrection. In fact, they'll even use the same evidence as grounds for disbelieving it. There are those who have once believed, then they've changed their minds, they claim that the evidence is, well, it's too strong against a Sunday school faith. And perhaps you've read one or more of their works. Perhaps you've listened to their sermons. Because there are quite a few preachers still out there who will use this very Easter day to discount belief in a literal resurrection. But connecting the data, the parts that you do know, that you're familiar with, with a real resurrection... It's just not possible for you. Well, whatever these three types might you might identify with, I would ask you 
this Easter morning, we consider. We consider if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at least not worth the effort to examine intently. I want you to consider the words of Blaise Pascal. He's a 17th century mathematician who eventually became known as well as an apologist for the Christian faith with his work that we know as his pensées. And he articulates the position of the person who will not look deeply into the claims of the gospel. As I know not whence I come, so I know not whither I go. I know only that in leaving this world I fall forever either into annihilation or into the hands of an angry God without knowing to which of these two states I shall be forever assigned. Such is my state, full of weakness and uncertainty. And from all this I conclude that I ought to spend all the days of my life without caring to inquire into what must happen to me. Perhaps I might find some solution to my doubts, but I will not take the trouble, nor take a step to seek it. And after treating with scorn those who are concerned with this care, I will go without foresight and without fear to try the great event and let myself be led carelessly to death, uncertain of the eternity of my future state. That's the position that you're in. I would hope this present pandemic should at least remind all of us of our mortality. And here is the resurrection. And it's a claim that death itself has been conquered. It is furthermore a claim that all who will believe it, who will believe in the one who was raised, will overcome death as well. Listen to Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha, whom he said this to, Do you believe this? Do you? Will you believe this? Will you at least give it the study it deserves? Now, I've been speaking to those who may not believe the resurrection, but to those of you who do, I want to call your attention to Jesus' words to Mary again. He told her to say this, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. I spoke earlier of that new age that Jesus was announcing and the new relations that came with him. We're to understand that the change is all for our good. Listen to how Jesus calls his disciples, my brothers. And he would say that of Mary as well, my brothers and my sisters. Before he was a teacher, they were disciples, learners. Now he's saying we're kindred. And we're to understand that we can know Jesus' Father, not just as Jesus' Father, but he's our Father as well. It's not in the exact same sense as, as Jesus can, who's the only begotten Son of God. But we have been adopted now as God the Father's children in Jesus, that is, through his work on the cross. And we can know God as the one to whom we are now reconciled. He's not a distant God. He's not an angry God. We're reconciled to him. And then all the more then, just as Jesus knew God, really knew him, so we may know God. All has changed, and all for our good. Easter morning began with sorrow, began with a crushed faith. It ended in a joyful belief. And that same belief has filled Christians throughout the ages, 
from every nation with the same joy, so that everyone throughout the ages to up to today, wherever they may be, whatever home they may be, can say, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. We give you praise, our God, again, for our our risen Lord. The death could not keep him in that tomb. The death had no power over him. No stone could keep him in that tomb. That he has burst the, the bonds of death. He has burst the bonds that were trying to hold him down. And in his resurrection, that glorious resurrection, we can look now for our own to come. It is life, not death, that has the last word. We rejoice in our risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. Jesus Christ is risen today. the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, who by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Amen. Thank you.